Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Medicine Path Podcast. I'm your host, Brian James. In this episode, I speak with Geronimo Matarasa about ayahuasca best practices. Geronimo Matarasa is a documentary filmmaker, independent researcher, and interaction designer with extensive knowledge of the world of ayahuasca. In the past decade, he has produced, written, and directed two documentaries about ayahuasca, including the excellent CBC documentary, The Jungle Prescription, featuring Gabor Mate. He has traveled extensively throughout South America, researching a broad range of ayahuasca practices, and has lectured internationally on ayahuasca tourism and the appropriation of indigenous knowledge. If you're enjoying these conversations, please consider supporting the podcast. And the easiest way to do that is to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and share with your friends on social media. Now, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Geronimo Matarasa on the Medicine Path podcast. Não tenho medo de tomar, eu tomo lá, eu tomo lá, e não tenho medo de tomar, eu tomo lá, eu tomo lá, e não tenho medo de tomar, eu tomo lá, eu tomo lá, e não tenho medo de tomar, eu tom
So I wonder if um, you could start just by giving us a bit of your personal history with ayahuasca and what led you to doing the work that you're now doing with ICERS. Yeah, um, my name is Geronimo and I was working, I came to ayahuasca because I was working um, together with a friend on a documentary project with the idea of uh, making, it was, the idea was to make a documentary series about the traditional use of uh, you know, plant teachers or you know, sacred plants. And we were gonna do uh, one documentary per plant. So we had spent some time in Mexico um, and my friend had been recording which all use and then together we recorded Salvia Divinorum and, uh, and uh, Ololuiki, this, um, this uh, blue, blue flower you know, um, uh, use. And then we decided that that next should be ayahuasca. And that we didn't, with this was 2003, we knew very little about it. My, my partner knew some more than I did. I, I knew very little, just what I found online, which is mostly centered about the ayahuasca churches at, the, at this point in 2003. Um, and uh, we went, we went, uh, we went the, the way we always went, which was, you know, we had, you know, uh, a lot of time, not so much money. And one one contact, the first contact, the first interview, which was with Luis Eduardo Luna, he gave us, he, he let us. Um, and then from there, we had another three months open where all sorts of things happened to us, where we just basically went from place to place. We would get to a place and meet the people, and they would tell us, like, oh, you should talk to this and this person and this other place, and then we would go there. And then, like this, suddenly the, 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 the journey would configure itself, really. Um, but I was I was really fascinated with, with ayahuasca, uh, I found it fascinating because of what we had done up to now, up to that point in Mexico, et cetera, it sort of sometimes resembled a sort of like archaeology. I mean, you were looking for the last living remnants of what looked like, you know, sort of dying traditions or, or very much something that had been much bigger at another time in the past. And now it was just, a, there was just a, a few, a few manifestations just left barely surviving on usually very remote communities, you know, very far away. Um, but with ayahuasca, it was completely different. What I found was a, a, a thriving culture, you know, in expansion, huge, with thousands of people, you know, uh, uh, ritually consuming uh, it, you know, especially, you know, when we, where we first arrived in Brazil with the Brazilian churches. Um, and, I, and I found that, you know, absolutely fascinating. So I sort of, that sort of took me on a, on a, on, on a vortex. I, I never, we never did the leap to the next plant. I just stayed with ayahuasca. Uh, the, the the project took more than ten years. Eventually, became a, 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 an episode of the Nature of Things, which is a CBC show that was played on CBC. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, at, at this point, I'd, I'd sort of been uh, bitten by the bug, you know. And my interest in ayahuasca went much beyond, you know, making a film about it or doing a portrait about it. You know, I began I began to get you know sort of you know personally. Uh, engaged in it, in sort of you know, and it's more more uh, more as an activist. So I, I I participated in a series of groups in Spain. You know, first uh, one called Eleusis Asociación Eleusis, which later became the platform for the defense of the good use of ayahuasca la plataforma. And then four years ago, I started collaborating with ICERS at first small things, and then you know, little bigger and bigger things. So, in a sense, you know, now it's been sixteen years since I first drank ayahuasca. And uh, I'm, I'm surprised myself how things have turned out uh, and how much of my, of, my, of my life, of my activity, of my work, it, it, it's ended up taking, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so can you speak a little bit about ICERS and 
just explain uh, for people who aren't familiar with it, uh, what ICIR stands for and what its mission is. Yeah, ICIRS is a it's a it's a Dutch foundation that is based in Barcelona in Spain. It, it means International Center for Ethnobotanical Education, Research, and Services. So basically, I'll say that ICIRS it's a foundation that specializes on plants that have a history, a long history of human use, uh, usually indigenous use. So this includes, you know, ayahuasca, but also peyote, San Pedro, cannabis, coca, uh, you know tobacco, etc. Uh, and our uh, mandate, you know, our, our objective is to, you know, work towards changing, transforming the relationship that society has with these plants. Uh, now, nowadays, you know, in most countries, not in all countries, but in many countries, these plants are considered, uh, you know, what you could say, toxic poisons. However, you know, in the, in the, in the places of origin, you know, in the cultures from whom these plants originate, and they're considered the opposite. They're, they're considered, you know, they're considered, you know, very, very valuable medicines. You know, they're considered secret, sacred medicines. Uh, we think there is a, we think there's a mismatch there. And we think that the people that have had the longest uh, relationship with the plants might have something to teach us, you know, who have, you know, less than a hundred year relationship with most of these plants. So what we, what, what I tries to do is it tries to sort of accompany the process of legitimization of the use and the practices of these plants in our own world, in the Western world, which is, you know, for, for which all of these plants are sort of very new and, 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 and quite unknown. So we do, we do many things. We, we, we support, uh, we, we look for evidence-based uh, uh, information. So we support scientific research because there's very, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that, that we, su we suspect, but we don't know, you know, with scientific proof about these plants. You know, for example, the fact that, you know, they, they seem to be quite, quite, uh, uh, you know, they're not, they're, they're not, they're not toxic, you know, and they don't, they, they don't seem addictive. But you, but you need, but you need, uh, you need, you, you, you know, I can say this, but uh, in, in order, in order to convince the administrations, we need, we need, you know, rigorous uh, data you know, and scientific research, you know, and, and these plants also seem to have, you know, very uh, broad sort of therapeutic potential, you know, for, 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 um, for depression, for PTSD, for Parkinson's, for uh, cluster headaches, you know, uh, and then in the case of cannabis, you know, for cancer, tumoral effects. I mean, there's many, many promising uh, um, aspects to these plants. And, and again, for these for you know, for, for for society, for our administrations to to accept this, they need certain proof in the form of science and and, and evidence-based research, and that that's that's a part of what we do. Uh, we also have a, a, a legal aspect where we, we we research the legal status of these plants. We do some lobbying work, and we also help and advise people who find themselves in legal trouble for working with these plants. And that's the ADF, the ADF, the Ayahuasca Defense Fund. It's a, it's, a, it's a side project of the foundation that helps people uh, uh, that are on trial uh, uh, for, uh, for these plants at, at an international level. Mm -hmm. you know? And then there's also an aspect that has to do with, with, with sort of community, with sort of uh, hosting certain meetings, uh, some small, some very small and some very, very large, like the World Ayahuasca Conference. To, in order to sort of gather the community, you know, and, and encourage the conversation about these topics, you know, bring also uh, uh, people from from other fields, people from the drug policy world, 
who up to now wasn't were not very interested on these plants, but they're beginning to take an interest. You know, bring bring all the scientists to sort of like spread, uh, uh, open up uh, the 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 range of the conversation uh, around these plants. Mm. What kind of research is that going on right now around uh, ayahuasca? Do you know of any? Research currently. There's, 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 there was a, a, a very interesting uh, paper being uh, that, that has been published recently about ayahuasca and long-term uh, uh, long-term depression. You know the, that looks very promising. And then there's there's one the research that is still not done, uh, still not finished, not published that ICRS is is doing together with the um, with the Temple of the Way of Light, a, a retreat center in Peru, about you know we're trying to exactly have data. That's how we can talk about what the effect of these retreats are on people's lives, you know, beyond that, what we all sort of know empirically, which is that, you know, they seem to have a pretty positive effect on people's lives and that's why people keep coming. But, you know, now, 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 you know, we're going to also have, you know, hopefully numbers that say the same. And, uh, and uh, you know, that, that's, that's, you know, I would say that those are the two that I'm, you know, that spring to mind uh, Mm-hmm. The most recent ones. Well, I know there, there's been some talk about the um, the beta carbolines in the ayahuasca vine having a positive effect on things like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, brain diseases. Where's that coming yeah. from? That's apparently that's very old research. I mean, that 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 comes out of you know, and I and I I'm, you know, you would have to talk to Carlos Bosa, who's our clinical director. He's, he's more up to date on this. But but uh, he he told me that the, the original research on this came when they were researching harming from Paganum armala, like I think back in the 30s or 40s, uh, and that it already showed promise uh, for this, and then it was sort of pushed aside, hmm. or one of more, you know, it, it wasn't pursued. Okay. So yeah, I mean the the, the beta carbolins in general are very very interesting compounds. Uh, I, I think sometimes the 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 the, the 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 sort of fixation both in the popular culture and also in 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 a lot of the research with seeing ayahuasca some sort of like orally active DMT yeah. with the DMT being the important ingredient it's a it's a it's a little bit uh, nearsighted you know I, th- I think we will find uh, it's my it's my suspicion that we find with time we will find you know and I'm, I'm not the only one that believes this that the beta carbolins is really w- where it's at yeah. I- in my own life, um, I've been experimenting with microdosing uh, vine, and mm-hmm. I found that on its own, it has uh, a mood-enhancing effect. Um, mm-hmm. Seems to have this effect of calming the mind, um, mm-hmm. slowing brain activity in a in a nice way, you know, in a beneficial way. Um, so I'd love to see more research into that because I think that would avoid a lot of the legal complications associated with the the leaf chakruna, the DMT. Yeah, it's true. I've actually done, I think three or four times. I've drunk, you know, vine only uh, preparations. You know, which is you know, you know, which you have to, which is the it's the way uh, the way it's done in uh, in Shuar communities. Which they basically they, they cook just the vine and it's a very it's not concentrated at all. So you have to drink very large amounts of this sort of like uh, you know very liquid and even warm vine tea, and you, you just keep drinking and drinking. It's quite it's quite an experience, extremely intoxicating. But uh, in terms of you know you can't walk straight. You I mean it's 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 kind of funny. Uh, but uh, but I was surprised how much 
of what I thought was the, uh, how much of what I would recognize as the ayahuasca experience is actually divine, you know, even down to the insights and, and, and some of the visions and how, how actually uh, a, a, a little of it, the, 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 the leaves in, seem to add. I mean, it, it adds an important part, but you know, when you have divine only, you realize that the bulk of what you recognize as the experience actually comes from divine. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I saw that recently you gave a webinar on ceremony best practices, and mm -hmm. I wondered if you could speak a little about that. Yeah, this is, this is, um, I have, like I said, because, because the, because the, the, the documentary was focused on this, on, on this traditional and indigenous use of these plants. And also because it's been, you know, sort of a personal fascination of mine. I, I've, I've spent a, a fair amount of time looking at the ways that people uh, who have been, who have long relation, long, uh, long-term relationship with these plants, uh, handle them. You know, uh, this is this is not unique to these plants. This is just this is just a human. This is just a human aspect. You know, I come from Spain. You know, in Spain we have a you know five thousand year old relationship with wine, uh, uh, and thus you know one of the lowest wine alcoholism rates in the world. I mean, we for for many reasons, but you know, basically there's a whole there's a whole body of knowledge that everybody that, that lives in Spain has about wine. You know, the wine is not drunk for breakfast. The wine is drunk after a certain time, usually accompanied by certain foods in glass that have, in glass that have a certain shape, you know, over certain, and, and, you know, over a certain type of, of, of social gathering, you know, you know, and certain types of occasions. And these things, these sort of like, these sort of, the, you know, cultures and, um, and, and substances um, or plants evolve together in ways that sort of, you know, maximize the benefits. So to maximize the benefits of the wine, these glasses make the smell more special and, and the flavor more rich and, and, and they minimize the risks, you know? So by, you know, by not having wine for breakfast or having only certain hours by doing it socially as opposed to by yourself, you know, all of, all of, all of these things, you know, happen naturally. The minute you put together a culture uh, with a plant uh, or a substance and you, uh, or a medicine and you let enough generations pass. So this 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 is always fascinating me because you know when you when you watch, you know like I have, you know places where you know where where children even children drink ayahuasca you know in small in, in, you know, indigenous communities and stuff, and not not only the children have been drinking ayahuasca but the parents the grandparents the great grandparents the great 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 grandparents, you know the entire community has a very very long relationship with this with the substance. Then you see the same sort of things emerge. They 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 have. They have systems uh, to to maximize or modulate their good benefits and to minimize uh, to minimize to minimize the risk. Now, I don't I don't want to, you know. Also, when you, it's a bit dangerous when you start thinking like this because you start sort of in instrumentalizing indigenous knowledge as if all indigenous knowledge or all culture is is just you know a, a, a bunch of good practices or a bunch of tricks that we might draw inspiration for you know that's so I want to before I go on you know make 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 very clear that I'm 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 very aware that you know that that the culture around ayahuasca is a you know for indigenous groups it's a lot more than a number of of, of of good practices it's 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 a human creation of culture of of you know of art you know of society of politics you know of medicine and even of spirit uh, but you know for the sake of the conversation that that, that we're having you know um there is 
you know, I, I, I find, you know, that one can very easily find very inspiring uh, 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 ways to deal with these things and, and very wise ways, you know, that you can see our, our time, you know, I will give you an example perhaps because it's easier to, it's, these things are easier to say, to see in, in an example, you know, the, 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 the ayahuasca churches in Brazil are not, you know, well, they're, they're going to be a hundred. So they're, they're a bona fide tradition, but they're not exactly a, a millenarian tradition, but still, you know, it's, it's, it's three or four generations, you know, five generations and in five generations, people learn quite a bit when they're allowed to, you know, to, 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 to work with, with something, you know, and they have, you know, very, they have some, something I always thought was very interesting, you know, the very wise, you know, was, was, and this is, this is the, and, and this is around the question is how should one deal with one's neighbors who don't drink ayahuasca? Mm. And this is the question. This is, this is a situation that is very real for the churches and it's not so real for indigenous people because they all, you could say that usually in the community most people drink, right? But in the ayahuasca churches, and they're mostly, you know, they're mostly developed in sort of semi-rural but turning to urban, urbanized areas. Mm -hmm. You know, they'd be neighbors. People with the church would be drinking ayahuasca and their neighbors, well, usually they wouldn't, no? But this is also a situation that is, you know, that, that, is, that, that we also have because most of us who drink ayahuasca in the West have neighbors, uh, family, relatives, friends who don't drink, right? So the mm -hmm. question is, how should one talk about this thing to your neighbors, right? And this is what the churches say. Their chat was, you know, fascinating when I heard about it. They said, you can, you can, uh, you can, uh, of course, you can tell your neighbors that you, that you drank ayahuasca and, and whatever happened to you, if it was good for you, it was good, if it was bad, if it was bad, you're allowed to do this. But you're never allowed, so you're forbidden from inviting your neighbors to the church. Mm -hmm. So you cannot, you can never say, I drank ayahuasca and it was really good and I think it would be really good for you too and you should come with me. Yeah. Now, no proselytizing. Let, 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 exactly. No mm. proselytizing, which is which is you know fascinating for a Christian-based religion. <laughs> <laughs> nobody's knocking right? on your nobody's it, knocking on your door. It's, it's, it's very rare. Mm. And now I, I want to make clear, you know, the doors of the temple are always open. Anybody can come and drink. It's, it's not that outsiders cannot join. Mm -hmm. It's that insiders cannot invite. Now the question is why? Why cannot they invite? And and this is why I think this is where I think it gets it gets wise. You know. Now, some people have said, you know, when these roles were originally drawn, you know, there was an issue with the authorities and there was an issue with the church and it was just a way of being cautious. But I, th but I think, but I think you know, that, that, was, that was historically the case. But I think there's a, deep, there's a deeper wisdom here, you know. In the churches, they say the, the dime, which is what they call ayahuasca, is for everybody, but not everybody is for the dime, mm -hmm. right? This, this the, the ayahuasca experience, it's potentially so life-changing so destiny altering, you know, it can be for the people who encounter it, that you should never take upon yourself the responsibility of being the one who brings anybody into this. Hmm. People have to come through their own, you know, with their own two feet because of their own volition. This is not, nobody can make this decision. Not only nobody can make this decision, nobody can make this recommendation for anybody. Mm -hmm. So it's so about this, in individual responsibility. But not just individual responsibility, but this is so big that how dare you mm. advertise it? You know, who, who, what, how do you take, how would you take this power over other people's lives? You don't have, this is, it, this is not your place. This is like recommending somebody to get married or to have children or to do any of these like sort of large, very, you know, very life-changing things, you know. Usually with these things, you know, we tend to be like, well, you know, you have to, you're going to have to look inside your heart and, and decide what you're going to do. You know, I cannot, 
you know, it, you know, you, you cannot tell, hey, you should marry that girl, or you know, or, you know, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, how does that compare to the indigenous societies that you've experienced? Because uh, I can imagine in the indigenous societies where it's used as uh, a treatment for different things that. Mm-hmm it's probably recommended that someone go see the curandero and drink ayahuasca. I mean, with, with, yeah, with, with indigenous societies, you have the entire range of, 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 of indigenous societies. You know, you, you have, you have some places that, you know, that use it very rarely, you know, once or twice in life or only people are sick. Sometimes even only the, the, the healer, the curandero drinks and nobody else drinks, the patients don't drink all the way to other indigenous societies where everybody drinks and everybody drinks regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what I what I what I can say is that the level of integration usually in those societies that they have with the with the that the culture has with the plant, it's so profound that basically you cannot understand the culture, you cannot understand the language, you cannot understand the myths, you cannot understand the values of the society, you cannot understand the politics, you cannot understand the life without these substances you know without these plants mm. you know so it's 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 completely you know it's 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 out of the question but again you know and this this it seems like we're talking about indigenous groups and something that happens very far away but you know in a in a in a, in a very in a, in, a, in a very real way if you removed wine from from mediterranean cultures you know something similar would happen you know mm. uh, you you would you would you would lose you would lose a huge uh, a huge part of, of, of so many things, you know, that, that would really be, you know, hard to understand. You'd tear a hole in the fabric of that culture in a way. It's, it's, you know, this is, you know, when, when, uh, you know, some, some of, you know, this, this, this gets expressed, you know, very, very poetically, you know, in, in, in some cultures, you know, for example, you know, I've been in the Baupes where they, you know, where they're very, you know, they use a lot of, they also use yaje, you know, they use the vine, but they also use coca, you know, and they say coca is the mother of thought. You know, that is not, it's not, a, it's not, a, that, that is not a small thing that is being said. The mother of thought. The mother of thought. So this is, this is, you know, by, by, by chewing coca, you know, and entering in conversation, this is how men, you know, human beings think. This is, this is, this is, this is, this is how thought is created. Now, this, this, this looks like, you know, but, but you really have to see, you know, what, what it's like, what it's like El Mandadero, you know, what it's like, you know, how the men come after working all day in the evening and they pick up one basket, just one basket of coca leaves and this gets toasted and then it gets, it gets smashed and then it gets filtered and then, and then the, the, the special ashes are prepared. And this entire process takes, you know, takes hours, you know, the day is done, the men are sitting around, you know, and they're waiting for this food because it's, it is what it is. You're literally eating spoonfuls of, 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 of leaf of leaf powder, you know, very, very slowly eating it and how, how conversation begins to emerge among the group and, you know, things begin to get discussed about, you know, this and that and what happened and whatever and blah, 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 blah. And then slowly, finally, you know, the, the, and everybody's smelling the toasting, everybody's smelling. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like being in the kitchen when like a great meal is being prepared and everybody's waiting, mm. you know. And then, and then, when, and then when it comes, well, then the, the meal is eaten, literally it's eaten. And then when the meal is done, it's done. You know, mm-hmm. you're not gonna make another meal. 
but around this time, around the meal, the conversation that happens, the socialization, the interaction between one and others, the stories that get told back and forth, this, this is the very fabric of what makes them who they are. Mm. And that this, that it is the mother of, 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 you know, you cannot, you know, it's, it's again, it's, it's hard. I think it, these are things that are hard to, un, to, to, to visualize if you don't, uh, if, if, you, if, if you haven't seen it or if you don't step back uh, and, and look at other things in your own society with it, with, with what, which is hard to think, you know, for example, sure. coffee, you know, what would happen if we remove, if we remove coffee from our culture and we think, well, we don't need coffee, you know, I can go without coffee. Uh, no, that's sure, really, that's really so, that's, sure you can go without yeah. coffee. Everybody can go without coffee, but can you go without coffee houses? Well, can you try, go without coffee breaks. You yeah, know? try having a business meeting with no coffee. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's an integral exactly. part of that ritual. Yeah. It's like the meeting doesn't start until the coffee's yeah. arrived. Coffee yeah, that's really interesting, and I can see a parallel there with the coca um, being the centerpiece of important conversation, and maybe wine in Mediterranean society. Yeah. It's like, and even in Canadian society, something like men sitting down to have a beer together, and that's when they're going to open up and talk. Yeah. So, how this relates to best practices um, is this something that uh, we can learn from those cultures? And I, I hope so. I mean, I, in in my in my. <laughs> In my, you know, when when I, you know, we're, we're we're stepping away from 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 my ayahuasca now, but in 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 my in my heart, I would very much like to see the day where where uh, especially the, the the coca leaf gets the the, the uh, gets gets its reputation cleaned, you mm. know, and and gets shown to the world for the wonderful food uh, that it is, uh, because it is a wonderful food. Uh, you know, and uh, the 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 way the way it's being used, you know, it's it's like if you take you know if you took if you took wine and you told me, look, this wine is just a, it's just a bunch of uh, vegetable matter on the way of this like ethylic alcohol, you know, methylic, I think, ethylic, ethylic alcohol. Mm-hmm. So I'm going, I'm just going to extract the pure alcohol out of the wine, and I'm going to drink that straight because 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 uh, because that's that's the active compound. Yeah. You no, know, and I mean that's completely ridiculous. One is not the alcohol. One is a lot more than the alcohol. Is the smell? Is the flavor? Is the taste? Is the, if you took the alcohol outside of wine and you gave it to me, I wouldn't want it. You well, there's, there's pure alcohol. Right? Well, well, alcoholics do. You know. Uh, yeah, but, you know, but not, but, but not just alcoholics. Uh, funnily enough, then uh, when I was in, in in the in the in the jungle in Brazil, you know, I saw the same thing. They were selling pure alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's a reversal. So, you know, we're doing the pure coke and they're doing the pure alcohol. And, you know, it's both equally British. It's like you, you, what, you, what you find is cultures encountering new substances and, and, and not, not having gone through the process of finding a place for this. Yeah, and, and not uh, respecting the the whole plant and everything surrounding the plant too. So, like when you take out the alcohol from something like wine and have pure alcohol, that's going to lead to a uh, lot of neg- negative yeah. effect, right? Exactly. Um, and I've been thinking similarly about the research that's going into uh, psilocybin and how they're extracting the psilocybin from the mushrooms and putting it in pill form, and serving it in a very sterile environment like removed from nature so you're in a a clinician's office somewhere and they've stripped everything because they don't want to uh 
they don't want to affect the experiment. So there might be a flower on a table or something. Mm. And to me, that seems like you're removing an integral part of the medicinal value of that plant. And same with smoking uh, synthetic DMT. And I, I think that those people are the ones who tend to think of ayahuasca as some kind of uh, vehicle for DMT alone. Yeah, I, I, saw a, a very, we recorded a very interesting conversation during the documentary between Gabor Mate, who's you know Canadian doctor, and, and Jordi Riva, who's a, you know a, a Catalonian um, a pharmacologist who's been researching ayahuasca in the lab for now quite quite some time. And and they were talking about this, and they, but there was basically some observations that Riva had had. Uh, I, and I can't remember which one it is, but it might come back. And that basically contradicted what Gabor, as a regular drinker, had experienced. You know, and Gabor said, "Well, you know, that's funny that you say that because, in my experience, that's not what happens." And 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 Riva says, "Well, I mean, I cannot talk about what happens in naturalistic settings. All I can talk about is what happens in my lab, hmm. right?" And this is science. I mean, it's not, it's, it's neither good or bad. I mean, science, it's important, it's necessary, but this is, the, this is the nature. They need to isolate things. You know, so when they say, you know, we now know what happens, you know, we have seen the brain of people, you know, we have seen inside the brain of people who drink ayahuasca under the effects of ayahuasca. Actually, what they're saying is, you know, we have now seen the brain of people under the effects of ayahuasca who are put inside a giant donut that rotates with magnets and makes crazy noises. You know, it's, 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 you know what I mean? You know, the, well, the, 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 the you know, magnetic resonance, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's the farthest thing from a naturalistic setting that you can imagine. It's the most alien experience that anybody can have. You're, you're strapped into in a strange bed and you're, and you're rolling inside this donut, you know, that is making all sorts of noises in this giant magnet. And, but okay, you know, that's, you know, that's, 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 uh, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's what we can do, you know, and, 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 and it does, and it does shed some light on things. Mm. So, you know, it, the, 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 the tools, the tools, the tools are the, are the tools that we have. You know? Yeah. And I guess what the scientists now, what they think they have to do is strip away all the variables that they can and try to get down to some kind of essential uh, compound and essential experience so that they can define it and release it as a finding, um, which I think is just narrowing the whole experience way too much. And, um, you know, this has come up for me with Michael Pollan's new book, where he calls it The New Science, the new science of Psychedelics. And mm -hmm. I find that like a, a little offensive, actually, because I feel like this is a science that's been going on for thousands of years. Um, and I don't know. What do you think about yeah. that? Where they're trying to again? There's there's many there's many types of studies. You know, there's not just pharmacological studies, and there's not just you know. For example, now in in ICERS, our 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 new you know sort of wave of studies are, are a lot more are based more in in concepts like global mental health, and these are what this what 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 this is is there's a bunch of sort of standardized parameters about the way people like live. Uh, there are simple things like do they go to the gym, do they use their car, do they walk, do they, do they eat vegetables? I mean, there's, there's, there's hundreds of these parameters and they're used to sort of making uh, wide maps of uh, populations. And you can compare one population with the other, you can compare different countries, you can compare different, different groups within the society, etc. Now, a lot of the research that has been done with ayahuasca, for example, late, you know, up to now was either pharmacological, so very low level sort of molecular interaction, 
with body where you need standardized or, you know, sort of focus towards, you know, ayahuasca as, uh, you know, in the treatment of certain conditions, but again, very specific conditions, ayahuasca and depression, ayahuasca, ayahuasca and PTSD, ayahuasca and whatever. Global mental health uh, research, which is now what, 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 we're, what we're starting to do, you look at the wider, the, you, you answer a much wider question. It's like not what happens inside people's brains, not what happens to people when these diseases, but what happens to people in their lives, generally speaking, and can we compare to other people, similar people who are not doing ayahuasca and their lives? And, and can we see now differences? But this is, this, this is also science. Uh, yeah. uh, but it's, but it's, just, it's just a broader, it's just a, it's just a, 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 a broader sort of a spectrum of, of, uh, of research. I, I think uh, Dennis McKenna's work with the Santo Daime churches in Brazil uh, over a long period, I think they studied them for 10 years, uh, groups who were living together and drinking ayahuasca at least twice a month regularly and looking at these patterns, um, uh, finding that alcoholism was very low, mm -hmm. that people recovered uh, almost immediately once entering into that community, and that generally uh, people's level of happiness was much higher than the general populace. Yeah, you know that that that, that wasn't uh, that that was that wasn't Dennis McKenna. That was a uh, Jose Carlos Bozos study. Uh, that was the he's the clinical director of ICERS. It was long-term mm -hmm. use of ayahuasca in uh, in uh, in. Uh, I mean, there was a number of researchers there, but 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 Bozo was leading the team. Okay. Um, and uh, and and this was still like what they what they did is they had a series of sort of like standardized again standardized tests. But they had, the, but this, but this was sort of at the at, at the individual level, not 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 at the level, and they were compared with a group that was uh, also a, a religious, uh, um, because this, for example, lower level of alcoholism is common among all people that are con committed to a religious group, also mm. like for example Protestant preachers, etc. That's why we compare they compare them uh, with another uh, a religious uh, members of a religious community that didn't use ayahuasca and that lived in the same area and had the same age, so you could. Uh, and and, and there were there were a lot of sort of cognitive tests, you know. Uh, so there, that was that was that was a very uh, that was a very useful um, um, study because basically it showed that people who were drinking, you know, yeah, like you said, more than ten years, more than twice a month, so uh, you know, a considerable amount of ayahuasca in their lives uh, were not showing, you know, a, a significant, uh, you know, uh, you know, toxicity, you know, loss of cognitive power, loss of memory, any of the, any of the, you know, many different markers that you would use, you would associate with continued use of a, of a toxic substance. Mm -hmm. So me. And going back to best practices, I think the religious churches um, who use ayahuasca, uh, I think that's a really good model because, you know, it's been a hundred years maybe that they've been uh, working with the sacrament um, and they've developed pretty strict ritual use and that's been able to be exported around the world. And so that's, that's an interesting model, I think, for best practices. Mm -hmm. And I think I think you know even you know I think even if you you know for personal reasons or 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 or, or whatever or personal preferences you find that you're not able to you know or you don't want doesn't want to join you know mm -hmm. a religion or you know I still find that there you know I find them you know I I I myself I'm not a member of any of these churches I've I've drunk with all of them. You know, I, I, I really appreciate it and enjoy them. I have some great friends there. You know, I, I consider myself a, a friend of these 
of these of these religions, but I, I haven't, you know, officially joined any of them. But I do find them, you know, an endless source of inspiration. You know, in in many aspects. You know, for example, you know this 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 thing that I was uh, that, that I said. You know, okay, so you cannot invite other people. How does how does that apply to people who are not a religion? I think it says a lot about you know the nature of advertising around these substances. You know, mm. you know, and this is something that that we're also thinking about because, like, see, you know, ICRS is thinking about what the future we're working towards the future where these substances are integrated in, in Western society. So let's imagine that ayahuasca is legal tomorrow. You know, what would it what would it look like? Would it be should, should people put ads on the on the television and the newspapers? You know, saying you know, hey, we have ayahuasca sessions. Come drink with us. You know, I, I think there's a very there's a very interesting insight. There's very interesting knowledge there. You know, the sort of wisdom that is there. You know, there's there's an, another another example, and this is hard to you know replicate, but it, it's it's an endless source of discussion among the, the ayahuasca scene. It's about money. You know, mm-hmm. uh, should we charge for ceremony? Should we not charge for ceremony? What is too much? What is too little? Is it okay to sell ceremony? You know, these 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 these, these discussions are, are 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 very complicated. They're very complex, and there's many. You know, you have the entire range of 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 positions. You know, on the one hand, for example, I've met people who uh, have uh, who work with ayahuasca and have very sort of you know small work jobs. You know, one is a, one does like sort of delivery of packages. The other person work in a clothes store. They're not exactly you know what people associate with you know sort of you know uh, uh, you know very very advanced careers or very fulfilling jobs. But for these people, they're very important because they they ensure that their their primary source of income uh, it's outside of ayahuasca. And also, and also their primary activity. So their activity to ayahuasca is not conditioned by the need to make money. They say, I'm happy that I have this job working at the store because I don't have to, if I'm tired on the weekend, I don't have to make a session just because I need the money. Mm-hmm. I can only I can make the session only when I when I'm when I'm doing my best and because I want to. And you know, there's some money change that changes hands, but it's just to to recover costs. So I'm not losing money. You know, but 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 that's but but that's how it works. And then on the other range you know you have and, and that's a good argument on the other range you have people that say look you know i trained in peru for many years i did many many dietas you know and this one this is very expensive it costs a lot of money you know and two you know i need to be completely i'm completely dedicated to this i couldn't be doing something else this is like i have to keep my dietas i have to keep my this and I, this is this is a path for me i've done nothing like this i've, I've, I've trained for many years so I need to, I need to, so, and this is also a, 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 a legitimate argument, mm-hmm. you know, there's the, the, you know, I think, I think the, the best practice around best practices is, is not to try to come up with a set of, uh, of rules, but to sort of paint a, a, a spectrum of possibilities, you know, a panorama, uh, um, so that each might fall uh, with whatever works for them, as long as they're doing things right, you know. Again, you know, it's, it's you know, it's, it's not so much it's not so much the the what, but the how, you know. Mm. So, for example, in the in in the I was recently spent some time with some people from the Unión de Vegetal, which is like one of the is the largest church in Brazil, nearly 20,000, 20, 25,000 people, um, and you know, so as such, you know, they have a fairly large uh, structure, you know what I mean? You know, when you're organizing these 20,000 people and you need, you know, you know, sort of, you know, you need a sort of a, hier- a hierarchical structure, mm-hmm. you know, and you need like all sorts of things. You need accountants, you need secretaries, you need you know, all sorts of things. 
And, you know, I was asking them, uh, you know, because I know that there's, I know there's sort of an administrative body and then there's also sort of like, you could say like a religious leadership body. And I was asking them, you know, at which point uh, as you go up uh, the, the hierarchy, uh, do people quit their jobs and, and make the church uh, their principal job, like 100% of the time, you know? And he said, never, mm. you never quit your job. You're not allowed to quit your job. You have to have a job. And then the church is something else that you do. Now, if your job is taking too much time and you cannot do the church properly, then you say it and they will let you, you know, they will let you step aside and they will put somebody in your place. But it is an absolute rule that in order to, 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 uh, to, to, to be a good leader in the church, you have to have a job and you have to, you know, and you have to have a good job you're doing well at. You know, I thought like, you know, this, that's, that, you know, that's, that, that, you know that, that's a very interesting sort of development that, that came from years of, of, of practice. You know, the other, the other rule, which I also found was very interesting, is that you must be happily married, you know, emphasis oh. on the happily. Hmm. So that if, you, if you cannot manage personal relationships in your home, you know, with your wife, you know, then what are you doing leading a congregation? <laughs> Which I thought was like, well, that's a good question, I guess. I guess, I mean, I don't know. You know, again, I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not saying things should be like this. I, all I'm saying is this is really interesting. I wonder if that was put in place um, to help guard against leaders taking advantage of the congregation, you know? Of course. I mean, they, 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 I mean I just, just about guarding against you know the regular dynamics you know human dynamics in groups you also know you know as a yoga uh, uh, as a yoga teacher you, you you know you know what happens when these when these dynamics are set up but somebody has higher knowledge and it's uh, and it's guiding people on a path of sort of a spiritual realization and the, and other people are sort of below and they're learning you mm -hmm. know there are all sorts of other dynamics begin to you know happen under the uh, but i mean it's not just the spiritual paths you know i think it also happens between you know uh, ski instructors uh, uh, you know uh, <laughs> lifeguards in beaches yeah. you know uh, uh, waitresses famous actors and actresses uh, uh, you know i mean it, it, you know anywhere where there is this sort of uh, asymmetry of, of you know this 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 balance uh, in power you know, then you begin to see these dynamics sort of appear. Mm -hmm. So I guess um, when ICERS is talking about best practices, you're not prescribing a point-by-point -point recommendation. You're encouraging people to do some exploration and you're helping to we, educate people. We, 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 we try to paint, we try to paint, we try as much as possible to paint a, a sort of a, a range, you know. I, I, will, I will give you another quote because I, I look for best practices in many places. And recently, I've been having conversations with people who work with um, um, initiation rituals for young people, mm -hmm. uh, which I found, you know, quite fascinating group of people. Uh, and they they have a lot of the same problems, and they've had a lot of the same uh, uh, situations. That's 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 precisely the reason why I've been talking to them because I I found they're a little bit ahead, sort of in the course, and and and, and there's much to learn from them. So they 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 had a tremendous amount of. Uh, 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 disagreement uh, and conflict over, uh, you know, money and ceremony, you know, um, which is what I, you know, about, about charging for ceremony, not charging for ceremony, etc. They, they, uh, as an organization, the, the people who are talking in this organization, they didn't see their role as being the ones to tell everybody how things should be. What they said instead is, look, this, this, this is complicated. The relationship with money and ceremony is very complicated, not just in this, in this field, but in general, 
in medicine, in acupuncture, in yoga, in spirituality. And, you know, this mix is complicated. So, you know, and in our society even more so, all we can say is this is something to to look out for and to keep in mind. And that, you know, two advices, two best practices around this is, one, to strive, strive for transparency. So people should be very transparent with the funds, why, how much was paid for what, for this, because, you know, you often, and it's true, often people complain like, well, such and such, you know, blah, 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 I went to drink ayahuasca at this place and it was so much money, you know, but actually when you break it down and you look at it, most of the money goes to pay for the location, usually, mm. you know, a large amount of the money goes to pay for the place where, the, where it takes place. Nobody ever does this breakup and this, this causes all sorts of misunderstandings. So transparency is one. And the other is, you know, people should work or think about or try to think about inclusive inclusivity, which is how do you make sure that people will have access to your ceremony, even if they can afford to pay it, mm-hmm. right? The minute you bring these two aspects of it, you sort of already deflate mm-hmm. 80% of the arguments that are taking place, right? Yeah. And, and, I, and you see, and you still haven't said anything about, you know, what is too much, what is too little, you know, that, that for me is a very good example of like best practice of best practices. Yeah, yeah. Say. Just put those things on the table and the conversation starts happening. Exactly. I mean, for both of those things, I think the, well, my experience is with the Santo Daimi, so I can only speak about that. But I think they've also uh, provided a really good model for how uh, inclusivity works in that the there's regular members of the church, uh, the Fardados, <clears throat> who are tithing every month a part of their uh, income. And I think that mm-hmm. fluctuates. That's a sliding scale for people based on how much disposable income they have. And then that allows the church to allow people in for free, basically, if they show that there's financial need. Um, And so I think the churches can provide a lot of good models in case ayahuasca does go legal. And then, um, you know, the structure of the church, more so than the doctrine of the church. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, this, this, this became in the conference in Rio Branco, this became a, 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 a huge argument, uh, you know, already, I think it was hour two of day one. Mm, really? <laughs> you know, it, it felt like it, ha- it happened really, really soon. I can't, I can't remember, don't quote me on this, but it became a, a really large polemic between, you know, some members of, of one of the churches and some, and, some, and some of the indigenous groups who are being used of making, of profiting of, of the ayahuasca now in, in the churches, this idea of the of the profit is quite profit is quite well defined. But that is that, of course, uh, expenses should be recouped. You know, you have to pay for wood, you have to pay for people who bring. You know, it's it's a lot of work. There's a number of things. You know, you have to pay pay, pay for the pots and the pans and you know mm-hmm. the things that are being used. You know, cooking ayahuasca is you know means you know bringing it from far away and you know it's a fair amount of work. Mm-hmm. So okay, the, uh, you know, running the church, the electricity, all of these things. You know, the, the expenses are recouped. What is not allowed, you know, in, in, in church doctrine, and that doesn't mean, you know, also, you know Christians are not allowed to, to lie, and, and, they, and they do lie. So, I mean, I'm, you know what I mean? This, the, the, the rule, however, is that one should not profit. So they should not make money on top of your costs. Okay? And, you know, I, th- I think that's, very, that's a very beautiful idea, and I, I like it myself, you know. However, <laughs> I think that, that when, the, when the churches were accusing the indigenous people of making profit of it, they were being a little bit, uh, uh, they were not thinking uh, the whole thing through because, because of course, most of the people in the churches, they're, like I said, they're urban or semi-urban dwellers. They have money. They have access to cash economy. 
Mm -hmm. uh, so once once that is covered, okay, you know, once you have a job like like they do with the Udever, then okay, you know, then 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 your work in the temple can become something else, can be something that you do on the weekends, mm -hmm. you know. But uh, it, it's very difficult for for uh, for indigenous people in the Amazon, you know, uh, to have a steady access to the to the cash economy. They have they have they have their land, they have their fish, they have and they have less and less of that, you know, every year. Mm -hmm. And but they don't. So it, it's it's a little bit. I think you know. I thought you know. I, I thought in that discussion in particular, it was a little bit unfair uh, to the situation of indigenous people. You know, to demand you know that they that they behave economically in the same way as sort of like urbanized uh, you know urban dwellers of of the uh, of the Brazilian Amazon. You know, which are mostly of the, most of the church membership. You know, yeah. So one, you know, again, you know, see, you see, again, it's it's sort of a panorama, right? You 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 have a wide range, you know, of 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 different situations. You have a you have a range of contexts, and you need to sort of step step back and 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 look for um, and, and and present and present and present the range of of of, uh, of situations, you know, uh, before things get. You know, I think get very stuck. A lot of the discussions is is this wrong or is this right? It's sort of very very binary polar, you know, dual sort of arguments, you know, and, and, and I, I think I find most of them rarely lead to, uh, to, uh, to permanent solutions or, or to happy people. Yeah. Uh, and this kind of touches on something I wanted to talk about too. Um, so when I think about best practices, I, I think not only of what happens in the ceremony, but also things like um, sustainable harvesting of the plants, fair trade, and and things like that. And one of the conversations that I've been hearing more and more lately is a question about the sustainability of ayahuasca, which is notoriously uh, rare, I guess. Like, the story that I've heard is that the vines that we should be using are at least seven years old, so they're mature vines, and, and more and more people are using young vines, and um, they're having to go deeper and deeper into the forest and things like that. So I wonder if you had any insight into what's actually happening with sustainability issues. I mean, I'm like you, I mean, I've, I've heard both things, you know, I've heard people who spend time in Iquita say that, you know, that they're now bringing the vine from four or five days away and that there's no bite left uh, in, in, in the area. And I have heard some other people from Iquitas, you know, Chris Killingham now is doing sort of research on that saying that, mm -hmm. no, that is, you know, that, you know, it's, there's no, you know, okay, there's Iquitas is a high demand, so people have to go far away, but the vine itself is not in any danger of, 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 of extinction. You know, I, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think human beings let economic plants go extinct, but I should, I should correct myself because it's happened before. Uh, but this has been, uh, you know, it was historically much, much earlier. However, you know, I would say that you know, I saw a really interesting, you know, to put it on a wider context, it's a really interesting presentation in a, on a conference uh, that Dennis McKenna organized last year. It was called the Ethnobotanical Search for Psychedelic, uh, uh, Ethnobotanical Search for Psychedelic something. Uh, it was it was the 50th year's anniversary. And there there was a, a, a presentation by Michael Henrich, Who's a who's a um, who's a, a German ethnobotanist, and he 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 did not he does not research uh, indigenous or psychedelics, but but his research was about what he was showing was how a certain number of a certain pattern uh, there's a recurrent pattern that you would call Western markets around plants that come from very far away locations that they have they're, they're surrounded by this sort of exotic aura, 
and that, that are found every few years and who, who are claimed to have sort of miraculous, uh, uh, miraculous powers. For example, Noni, if you remember Noni use mm-hmm. Maca, you know, it's more recent one, you know, Rodiola, uh, 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 you know, it's 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 it, it, and you know it, it's true that it's sort of endless. Every few years, there's a new one, and it always s- seems to be like good for a million. It cures cancer. It boosts your <laughs> immune system. It it always does like amazing things, mm-hmm. and it comes from far away. You know, always, and it, mm-hmm. and, and and it's expensive. And what and what he was showing was the sort of like these curves that were the curve of interest uh, Google searches of all of these plants through time. And it was always the same curve. It was like it was it was slow, 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 and then it sort of took off as it became popular and then very popular and then super popular and then it became mainstream and then it hit a peak, you know, and then sort of it went down. And what they did was the research was very simple. They just, they bought these plants in, you know, they're all legal, this is the legal uh, commercial market, plant market, and they tested them uh, at the peak of their popularity. And the results were really kind of, you know, scary is that a lot of them, you know, a lot of what was being sold as those plants was either adulterated with something else or directly not the plants at all. So what was happening there was a crisis of sustainability. So, you know, while I don't think ayahuasca right now is there, I don't see if it keeps growing in popularity, it could happen, something like this. And, and, what, and what something, by something like this, that means there's a point when there's not enough of these exotic plants from very far away places to sustain the interest of you know of, of of westernized markets and in this market I include China. No, for example, maca is hugely popular in China. Well, if, if Chinese people decide that ayahuasca is interesting, you know, we might uh, hit some sustainability issues mm-hmm. because you would need really really large plantations because it's a huge population. Right? I mean, it, it triples quadruples the population of the Amazon or quintuples or you know, multiplies by ten or whatever. I have no idea. I mean, it boggles the mind. You know, mm-hmm. so. Uh, so I think it's it's you know it's it's good to start thinking about this, and I think it's something that is that is that is something that the that the people who have the demand, so the Western countries, should start taking responsibility for this. I I, I don't think I don't think I don't think it's a question that just we should ask uh, people in the Amazon, uh, you know. Um, yeah. So, you know, ayahuasca seems to be on the growing curve. I, 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 I don't think it can be compared to noni or rodiola or these things. But, you know, what there is in this, in this pattern, it's certainly very similar and it sounds very similar. You know, with ayahuasca, we have another, you know, miraculous plant from far away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but maybe, it, yeah. maybe it can't be compared because, of course, it'll never be as popular because it won't be in supermarkets anytime soon anyway. Mm-hmm. But it probably is much more rare than some of those other uh, fruits mm-hmm. and plants that become superfoods yeah. and, and harder to cultivate, too. So maybe uh, it's at a smaller scale, but the impact can be seen to be the same. Yeah, the the only ones that have that, you know, I mean, for, of course, the the Brazilian churches have that sorted, you know, full full stop, you know, both 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 the Udebe and, and you know the diamonds that they have, they, they they've had it sorted for a long time. They have large plantations, mm-hmm. uh, so I mean, it's it's doable. Uh, one one has just to you know uh, set themselves to it. You know, um, unfortunately, you know, there's 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 a very there's 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 a very bad thing. That we that you know that we Westerners taught uh, 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 people in the Amazon, we, uh, and it's called extractivism, and it comes from it comes from us. It, 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 
it, it, which is which is the sort of peak cycles of high interest, you know, rubber the rubber boom. You know, mm-hmm. it's another story that has you know sort of like a, a, a similar. Uh, well, that's the story of Akitos, and you go to Akitos now, and it's got this thriving uh, ayahuasca tourism market. But you're kind of seeing the ruins of the rubber boom that um, I can't remember when it peaked out, but these old colonial buildings that have just fallen into complete disrepair. I, I heard at one time that Iquitos was actually the wealthiest city on earth. I don't know if that's true or not. People, people, people were lighting uh, their cigars with $100 bills and the, 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 the women, women were sending their clothes to get washed to Portugal because Whoa. the water was clean there, because the water, <laughs> because the, yeah. That wow. was that was that was the level of uh, of unlike uh, unlike that it, it vanished. It, it was, yeah, it was it was, it was like uh, I've seen similar cases in uh, you know there's some towns in the in the Amazon that were hit really hard by the coca train and in and in the glory days they would have they would have like a, just a sort of like a shack and they would bring really famous singers from Lima by helicopter to just sing for the night and pay you know millions you know the, the, the that place was a washed with seemed like endless amounts of money. And then and then like that it went away and, and left nothing behind it. And and this is this is this is the problem with these booms, you know, that they sort of they leave nothing behind them. They they don't they you know very very little uh, very little is actually built. That's the that's the that's the thing with extractivism. Mm-hmm. You know and, and I mean if something happens to the ayahuasca supply um, then also all that whole arts and crafts culture that is happening alongside of the ayahuasca tourism. I mean, I don't think anyone would be as interested in that mm-hmm. stuff anymore. So, and that's part of like what my thinking was, is that not only it's the extractivism, but also what we bring into those communities in terms of cash money um, into generally cash poor communities and how mm-hmm. that affects those communities. And I can't imagine that other than an influx of cash, which at the time seems good for everyone, but some of the stories I've heard about um, rivalries forming and jealousy and more robbery and crime yeah. and things like that. Um, yeah, I, I read I read someone I can't remember who it was said something that you know you know poverty poverty is terrible, but what's really destructive is inequality. Mm-hmm. So if 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 you if you have a community where everybody's poor. You know that's not a good thing, uh, but if you have a community where a few people are, are are rich and the rest are poor, that's much much worse. So so a, a, a lot of this and this these are very very complex issues and very very hard to uh, to manage, right? Uh, uh, and what what you see is uh, you know you, you know for example you know we we when we started documentary we we, we spent time in Maria Sabinas town in Huatla de Jimenez, you know, mm, this is a place yeah. where mushrooms were discovered. And so when we arrived, it had already been 60 years since mushrooms were, you know, was, was there mushrooms were discovered. And we were, we spent time with some of Maria Sabina's family, surviving family, you know, and then we, re, we, we, we did research in, on this. And, and the story that you got, you know, from them and from the research was that it was actually, you know, you know, you can, you can say that, you know, the Western world has benefited hugely from mushrooms. Uh, you know, they're now being used for cluster headaches and, you know, endless, endless, you know, but Maria Sabina's family, you know, it, 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 the, the, the effect was very bittersweet, you know, which had the, on her and on, on their environment, you know, the arrival of the foreigners, you know, the influx of money, you know, all, all, all of these things, they were really, they destabilized what was, in fact, you know, a very remote, you know, and very conservative uh, uh, community. 
in probably you know, a very harmonious community. I'm sure. I'm sure they were doing just fine. Uh, you know, so th- 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 this, this th- these things are enormously. You know, another. You know, with this, this is not. You know, another sort of interest of, my, of mine that I haven't. You know, lately I've been more focused on other things. Has to do with best practices around this. Best best practices around around tourism. Uh, and about development and whether it's possible or not to create sort of like, you know, because there's this thing, you know, there's a, which is, you know, the paradox of tourism, the paradox of tourism, this comes from tourism studies, is, is that it destroys what it's looking for. Mm-hmm. So tourist, tourist, you know, tourism is, is looking for, you know, a, a empty beaches, you know, a, 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 a bars where there's only locals. You know, uh, uh, very, very, very authentic sort of, you know, experiences of otherness, mm-hmm. you know. And then the minute it finds that, you know, by its very nature, it destroys it because more and more people, you know, that, that is like, you know, you can say the Lonely Planet guy that has, has brought, you know, wealth and, 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 and to, to so many people and so many communities and so many people who run like small hostels and things like this. But it, it has also, you know, by, by default sort of created this like route <laughs> where you can, you know, you go and you meet all the other people that also support the Lonely Planet guy. You know, it sort of creates these paths, you know. These, 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 these issues are, you know, uh, and, and that's something that is just, one, one has to look into because, you know, right now, except for the biggest cities, you know, cities like Barcelona, Madrid, uh, uh, Venice, Berlin, London, all of the largest cities in the world, you know, there's basically just as many people passing by as there's locals living there. Hmm. at any given time so you cannot you know you 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 know you cannot say that here's the city and here's the tourists it's like they're they're mm-hmm. almost 50 50 literally i mean tourists visitors you know they're, they're, it's almost 50 50 so what does that what does that do to a population what does that do to a city how does one deal with it you know how does one best handle that you know how this this how does one handle low low travel fares and airbnb you know uh, in in massive at, at, at massive scales, well, these are you know these are some of the challenges, you know. It's it, it, it's a fascinating consideration because yeah, if a community becomes so reliant on tourist dollars, how does that actually affect the culture when people see the financial benefit in meeting an expectation? of an outsider coming in. And so it becomes maybe a kind of like performance art for the tourists and where in there is authenticity. Yeah. I mean, I had a friend who spent some time with Inuit in Canada and, and, and he was, and he was talking about this. He said, you know, the, 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 the minute, the minute you stop, you know, hunting for the seals, then the dance of the seals becomes meaningless because the dance of the seals was not was not an artistic creation, you know, a folkloric tradition of, of like now we do this dance. It was intimately tied with everyday life and with with the hunt that needed to take place. So when you when you stop hunting or you stop uh, you stop hunting in a certain way, you might keep the dances, you know, but the dances themselves are sort of amputated. They become this sort of they become performance, like you say. Mm. This is again. You know, cultures cultures have never been static. Uh, 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 things things change. You know, times change, and and we cannot. You know, and one cannot one cannot deny indigenous people the right to have the good things of modernity if they so choose. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you know, we, you know, that's it, it's you know, it's also like a very sort of troubling 
relationship uh, that, that we have with indigenous cultures when, when we look at the wrong at the long term like from Spanish colonization to now is that you know I'm, I'm Spanish you know you could say that Spanish people have always been telling indigenous people the same thing for 500 years you know even now which is what whatever you are today is not quite right for me mm-hmm. you know so 500 years ago they needed to be less Indian and more Christian you know and nowadays they need to be less modern and more indigenous you know but but the, mm-hmm. but the attitude you know the attitude of the of, of the colonizers remains the same which is like you know in order for me to accept you you know you have to change some things about the way you are you know so so you know the, it's 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 again you know it's very uh, 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 delicate troubling waters you know uh, with this where where we where, where one has to like how does one uh, uh, but you know, with that said, you know, if, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I, I read a lot of anthropology, you know, I take a lot of, uh, uh, I, I enjoy anthropology, I've been studying anthropology, but I've, I've read a lot of it and I, I enjoy it, especially Amazonian anthropology. And you, you see a huge change from the 70s to today, mm-hmm. uh, because, because anthropologists in the 70s were convinced that this was, that this was, that they were, they were the last ones. And after them, this would be the end. They would be the end of these people, the end of these cultures the end they, they really you know and they, they and they, they would admit it uh, nowadays but actually that's not what happened you know uh, uh, many indigenous populations in the amazon have sort of like re- revive you know thrive uh, uh, reestablish themselves you know uh, grown so you know things things are uh, you know things think things, things are things are always more broader and more interesting than uh, that might seem at first you know mm-hmm yeah, I'm thinking about um, Eduardo Luna's film. Uh, I think it was called uh, Doctorcitos. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think it was one of the earliest films on ayahuasca that I'd it seen, was. early yeah. 80s maybe, and still the most uh, beautiful film on the subject that I've seen. And you look at that compared to the kind of ayahuasca films that are made now, where there's um, all these CG effects, uh, you know, sh- trying to represent the visuals and everything. Mm-hmm. And just kind of like how a lot of that culture around plant medicines maybe starts to even shape the way that it's presented yeah, by the by the indigenous people alone. Like yeah, because yeah. we come in with these certain expectations about what we want out of this ceremony or this experience, and how could they not try to meet those needs? Exactly. There's there's a, there's a demand for a certain type of shaman, and yeah. then. Whether 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 that type of shaman existed or traditionally or not, I mean that's another issue. But the, but the minute that there's that demand, you know somebody's gonna uh, uh, gonna step somebody, up. <laughs> somebody will step up. Yeah. So, so there's an opportunity, and there's and there's and there's opportunities. Again, you know, with 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 with, with that said, there's there's also uh, there's also some people now saying, you know, that actually that's been the nature of ayahuasca, you know, shamanism all along. That it's always been extremely adaptable, and that's why it has survived. There were other aspects of of, um, of ayahuasca shamanism that were more political, more grupal, that 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 disappeared, except in a few communities, basically around the Valpes, you know, the, the Yurupari cultures. You know, there's a few places in the Colombian Amazon where you still have this sort of like big dances mm. uh, where I where 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 yaje, you know, is consumed uh, ritually. You know, but most of what we associate with ayahuasca shamanism, which is sort of this very individual. 
uh, thing where like 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 you mean in this film, sort of a, a healer that works uh, usually by him by him or herself, usually by himself, you know, and and works as a sort of like folk healer, uh, and uh, and that it can be he can be indigenous, but he can also be mestizo, mixed blood, you know. There's there's already the the incorporation of some you know Christian elements like 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 in, like in Luna's film together with a number of with a number of you know Amazonian figures that are sort of. Uh, I wouldn't say pan-Amazonian, but they're common to many places of the Amazonian populations, riverine populations, you know, or what is Jorge Gache, this other anthropology called Las, Las Gentes Bosquesinas, the, the, the forest people, which is it's a very interesting sort of study that he made about what makes Amazonians in general, whether they're indigenous or mestizo, sort of what, what is their, what is their uh, and he called them, them the forest uh, populations of bosquesinos. Mm. Um, they have these other legends, you know, that, that, are, that, that are part of this vegetalism, right? So, so that in a way, what we're seeing, we might see what, what's new about it is the presence of, 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 of people that come all the way from, you know, from Europe or from, but, the, but in a sense, this, this evolution of, of, of ayahuasca shamanism uh, to fit the needs of whomever is coming, looking for it, has been happening already for a long time, even before, before, uh, even before this, you know, before people started arriving in the in the in the nineties, basically, mm -hmm. uh, that th that this is part what has made it so resilient and what it's made it survive and 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 and, and make it so far as opposed to other practices, you know, around uh, uh, tobacco or dietas, piripiris. I mean, there's there's you know, the Amazonian traditional medicine is very 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 rich, mm -hmm. uh, and ayahuasca really was just a small part. But but it's become uh, it's, it's become very very popular, you know. And sometimes I think sometimes I think you know white people like it even better than indigenous people. Tell you the truth, <laughs> they, 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 they have they have they have more of a uh, they have a quite uh, a unique fascination with it uh, that 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 sometimes you don't find uh, reflected back in the in the. Uh, in the traditional groups, where people drink ayahuasca once or twice, and they have sort of mixed feelings, or even mm -hmm. even sort of sort of some 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 you know some fear, some reticence towards it. You know? Well, and I think this this speaks to exactly why we're seeing a boom now, um, because Western society isn't fulfilling people on a lot of different levels, you know, and uh, more and more we're seeing people in need of deeper experience in their life of of something that is connected to the magic and mystery of life, and we keep having to look outside for that because it's not happening within our own cultures for the most part, and I think until we uh, we kind of fill that need within our own cultures, you know, either by, by uh, rediscovering our own European pagan ritual and things like that, or creating something new using the, the plants available in our geography, something like mushrooms. I think mushrooms are the most sustainable of any of these sacred medicines. They can grow anywhere. They can be cultivated, all that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that really, for me, is like where I see the sustainable future of this exploration happening is with something like the mushrooms and maybe creating our own set of rituals around that that are relevant to us in this time and place so that we stop having to go elsewhere to find it because uh, it's we've got a really bad track record. You know, like you listed a whole bunch of different examples and it's the same thing is going to keep happening until we become more self-reliant for our own spiritual needs. Yeah, no, I agree. There's, um, 
there's a quote also, I can't remember who said it, that said, you know, ayahuasca is an antidote against uh, disenchantment. Mm. You know, and uh, and I, I think, you know, and, and, and I agree, I, I agree with you that this, that this is the sort of a malaise of, 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 of Western societies. You know, I, I myself uh, went, you know, went deep into the forests and the jungles and the sierras looking for, you know, for those other uh, uh, people that, that were not like me. You know, and 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 that did things different. But at the end, you know, like you said, you know, if you get if you get deep into this, the question that comes back at you is, but you know, what are what are your traditions? You know, and and where are your ancestors? And what is your territory? And what is your culture and your spirituality? You know, there's there's a there's a beautiful uh, there's a beautiful uh, line with from the I think it's the Dalai Lama or something like this, and he said, you know, I think it's great. That all of these, you know, people in the United States and in Europe are now interested into Vietnam Buddhism, and they, you know, and they come and they and they and they want to learn, you know. However, I would like to tell them that until they come and they bring us their traditions and their spirituality, so we can have a conversation, mm-hmm. you know, this relationship it's a bit, you know, I mean, it's great that you want to learn about Tibetan Buddhism, but you know, should we, you know, how about instead of just me talking about Buddhism all the time and you listening, you know? We try to, you know, we find a way that we can, you know, have a conversation, you know, interchange, because yeah. you know, because 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 we do have, uh, uh, you know, and, and very old, and you know, and if one knows, if one knows how to dig, very valid traditions of our own, like like all other peoples who inhabit this earth, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, you know, again, I mean, if you if you let human beings usually by themselves, they will develop a fairly interesting culture anywhere. Because that's what we do. We create culture, you know, and 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 we do make interesting and creative things, you know, and and also spiritual things. However, you know, there's been a certain, you know, and, and I think this is part of my last name, Burkhan, and this is just a personal theory of you know, of mine. But you know, we are as as a people, you know, we're 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 you were singular experiment on, on uprooted uprootedness, mm-hmm. you know. And we're we this this hasn't been quite uh, uh this this sort of experiment hasn't been quite run like this by any other culture in human history. Mm-hmm. You know, this this sort of detachment from from place, from territory, you know, from religion, from culture, but also from family, from ancestors, from neighbors, from you know, from community, from you know, and this is, and this, this, this has brought us great individual freedoms, and 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 it has liberated us from an, from a number of 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 of, of uh, uh, you know, yeah, sort of shackles, you know, yeah. uh, 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 you know, it has also liberated women. It has, you know, it, you know, it, 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 it's attempting to liberate animals. I mean, it, it, there is there uh, behind it or pushing it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a quest for freedom, mm-hmm. you know. However, you know, freedom, you know, I guess we're beginning to find out that freedom is not just doing what you want. Yeah. Um, yeah, I heard a quote recently, and it went something like, "My skin is the uh, the border of my territory, mm-hmm. and within that, I have." absolute freedom and where that freedom ends is where your skin begins mm-hmm. something yeah. like that and yeah. um yeah yeah that's uh, that's antonio Escotado, a spanish philosopher ah. uh, he, he he said this and I, I, I would add to this that actually it, it might even start even earlier even my, my freedom might end up where, where you're sort of you know 
the, the, the things that you hold culturally valuable and important. Begins. Right, the invisible like, I, I'm, things. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, and this is also an endless debate, but I'm, I'm not sure we should be totally free to do as we want with other people's, you know, you know, culturally valuable, important spirituality, uh, uh, spiritual symbols, etc., uh, uh, etc. Et you know, this is a, I'm, I'm, I don't I don't think that someone. I mean, I, I think it's a little bit. If if I think, for example, of someone from Korea going to Israel, taking a few a quick courses on Judaism, and then going back to Korea and putting a kippah on and 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 making a building and calling it a synagogue. Uh, you know, okay. You know, people should be free to do what we want to do, what what they want to do, I guess. But I mean, I I I, I would I would like to see a world in which people are, are a little bit more respectful with things that are very old or very ancient or very important or very valuable for other people, mm -hmm. uh, just as a matter of you know human decency and respect. Um, so you know, I, I, I would I would say you know the same can be applied to a lot of what we do with indigenous, uh, you know, as symbols, rituals, uh, you know, culture, spirituality, etc. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great place to end. And um, yeah, I don't think there are any answers, but I think what's most important is that we have these discussions and talk about uh, the issues like the real issues, not just the benefits of these plant medicines, but talk about the whole picture. And I, people like you are helping to fill out that picture. So I really appreciate the work you're doing. And I hope uh, people are listening and, and thinking for themselves and making some um, educated decisions about where to go forward. Well, thank you very much. And uh, thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, muchas gracias. Gracias a ti. That was my conversation with Geronimo Matarasa, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, or consider contributing a few dollars to help pay for the ongoing costs needed to produce this podcast. You can also check out the short film I recently released called The Shamanic Roots of Yoga, and a free ebook on integrating the insights and inspiration from ecstatic experiences called Wisdom of the Heart. Both of these are available at medicinepathyoga.com. Well, that's all for now. Thanks again for listening, and I hope to meet you again on The Medicine Path. Yeah.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.